0: Welcome to this week's Rashi Sheir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. We are continuing the story of Abraham in Parashat Vayera, and we reached Perak Kaf Aleph, Pasuk Lamed. So we went quickly for the last few Pasukim because there was no Russian thereon. but we're talking about a meeting between Abimelech and Avraham. First, Abimelech wanted a Brit that uh, they wouldn't harm each other. And then Avraham has a point about the wells, which have been disputed between him and the Polishtim. And he sets aside in Pasuk Kafchet, Sheva Kivsot Hadzon Levadhen, seven, uh, sheep, use of the flock by themselves. And in Kavtet, Avimelech <laughs> says, what are these seven cows, seven sheep, sorry, that you have set aside by themselves? And now we get to Pesach. <laughs> he said, Avraham replied, <laughs> the seven sheep you will take from my hand, in order that, um, well, I'll translate preempting Rashi. It will be for me as a um, witness that I dug this well. Says Rashi on the words, this, what is Rashi doing? The problem is is one of those grammatical constructions that can have two meanings. It will be feminine third person, or you will be masculine second person. So is Abraham talking to Abimelech and saying you will be Leida as a witness? No, he's not. He's saying something else, an unspecified subject of Tihyeh, this. So Rashi adds the word this will be as a witness. How does Rashi has to know it's something else? Well, apart from the narrative, which we'll get to in a minute, the next thing he's going to say is on the word Leida. So let's look at Rashi loshen edut it's a feminine expression of the word for edut for testimony kamo and we do find eda as a feminine word ada hamatzeva the testimony of the uh, matseva of the pillar uh, that's with uh, Yaakov later on so eda, the testimony of something feminine um, and therefore, it can't be speaking that you will be, uh, you, Abimelech, will be for me, La'eda, because if it were, it would be the word aid. So it has to be something else. So Rashi adds the word Zot. What is Zot? Zot means this. It's referring to, if not, it's referring to a person, it's referring to an act. The act of giving the seven sheep to Abimelech, that is going to be the ada, And the act of Kicha, of taking, is a gerund, I suppose, which is feminine, which is why a. Ida fits with the feminine form of the act of taking. So, tikach you will take from me, but this, this act of taking will be for me as a witness. So Rashi has explained what tihiyat means because of the possible ambiguity of the grammatical form. And in order to do so, he's added a subject which isn't explicit in the text. He's added the word zot to be the subject of tihiyat li. And then explain that this act of taking, which is now the subject, will also is feminine, and therefore eidah is as he says, edut Eidut Shonak. Then we go on to say, it's an Eidut ki chafarti et ethabaer, that I have dug this well. Says Rashi, Me Hayu Aleha. They were arguing about it. Roe Avimelech, the shepherds of Avimelech, the Umrim, and they said, Anaknu we have dug it. Amru So they said between them, Abraham and Abimelech, "Call me al habaer Whoever will appear by the well, Ya'alu hamayim likroto, and the water will come up towards him. Shalothi, it's his, it's his well. and the water, water's feminine, yeah, sorry, I'm asking about plural, came up towards Abraham. So Rashi brings a midrash." to explain what is the proof that I have dug this well. You see, Rashi needs to fill in this particular gap, because Rashi himself has said there was a dispute about this well. That's obvious from the fact that Abraham needs a testimony that he dug the well. So the very fact that he needs to make some sort of statement, some sort of evidence, implies there's a dispute. So if there's a dispute, it doesn't make sense that Avram says, I dug the well, and everyone says, oh, very good, you dug the well. If it had been as simple as that, then what Avram wouldn't need to make of us. So the fact that Avram makes, makes an issue of it implies there is discord, which means there must be a proof to resolve the issue. So Rashi tells us what the proof is. One could ask, why does, it, why does it work like this? So, the water coming up is some sort of brachas, obviously, some sort of miraculous divine blessing. We see this idea about the water coming up um, with Yaakov and the Nile, and I think some other things as well. Um, Rivka and the well, both those cases, there's the Rashi says, based on the Midrash, that the waters came up towards uh, Yaakov at the Nile and Rivka at the well. So, the idea that wells sometimes express blessing by water coming up we see that in some other examples but we wouldn't expect it to cut ca- a stolen well to be a a vehicle for blessing um hashem not going to create a blessing in something that's stolen so if avi melech goes to the water and and claims to be like the owner of the well he's not he's he's a thief if he claims to be the owner of the well so the water is not going to come up to him when Avraham comes to the well, the water's going to come up to him because he's the true owner. So he's declaring, it's my well, so the blessing can take place. Now, that's probably all we need to say, but it's worth pointing out that Rashi's given half the Midrash. Now, maybe he's given an alternative version, but the Midrash actually says it connects the sheep to the water coming up because, and it explains what's going on in Pasek In Pasek Abraham Avraham says, here's the seven sheep, tikach miyadi, take them from me. So the Midrash says that when the sheep belonged to Abraham, they stood by the well and the water came up. When Avimelech takes possession of the sheep, they now become Abimelech sheep and the water doesn't come up. So the sheep, if you like, are the control, standing there still and it's the change of ownership which Abraham specified in Pasuk Muhammad that then becomes the test of whose well it is. So based on that Midrash, it's not, the sheep are not just a random symbol, but are actually very much part of the experiment. By the change of ownership of the sheep, then the experiment can take place. So you could read Rashi as just giving you an abridged version of the sheep story, or you could read Rashi as saying, no, I'm not gonna go with the sheep. I'm just gonna say, whether it's Melach or Avraham appearing at the well, the water will come or won't come. But either way, we have answered the question of how can the dispute be resolved? How can it be the end of the matter that everyone agrees that Avram dug the well, Rashi's filled in that gap. And now we come on to Pasuk Lamed Bet, uh, sorry, Pasuk Lamed Aleph, Al Kane Hu Be'er Kisham Nishba'u Then, therefore, the place is called um, Be'er Shavah. Be'er Sheva because there, Nishba'u, they made a Shavua, they made an oath between them. So that's the oath that uh, was referred to in Pasuk kaf Gimel and Kasuk Kaf Dalad. In Kaf Gimel, Abimelech proposed it. In Kaf Dalad, Ve'yoma Avraham Anochi Yishavea. So although you might think that it's something to do with the Sheva of the seven sheep, it, apparently it's not. It's the Shavua of the Nishba'u Shenehem, of the oath that they made. And then in Lamed Bet, Ve'yichratu Vrit ve Sheva, they made a covenant, literally, they cut a covenant in Be'er and Abimelech and Fikol, his officer, got up, and they returned to the land of the Palishtim. And then we come to Paset Laman Gimel, which is the last substantive, oh, no, there's two substantive psukim before we get to the almost, well, perhaps the most major event in Abraham's life that we've been sort of building up to, which will be the finale of this parasha which is the Akedah but before that we have two pesukim lamed gimel and lamed dalet lamed gimel says the eshel bebereshava abraham literally planted an eshel which we'll leave untranslated for the moment in bereshava the sham and he called there the shem hashem in the name of god kahl olam the everlasting god what is going on so we have two fundamental questions number 1 what is an eshel it is a word that does not appear elsewhere in the Chumash. It, it appears two other times in the entire Tanakh. So we might wonder what it is. Um, we might wonder how, if it's something that's plantable because Vayita means he planted. And we might wonder what's the connection between the first part of the Pasuk, Vayita, Eshal, Sheva, and the second part of the Pasuk, Vayikra sham Hashem, Hashem, Hashem El Olam. So those are the questions that Rashi is going to answer. And he says on the word Eshel, Rav U Shmuel. the meaning of an Eshel, of this Eshel, is the subject of a dispute between two Amoraim, Rav and Shmuel, who often have disagreements and Rashi sometimes quotes them by name. What's interesting is Rashi seems to have had a different girsah, different uh, version of the Gemara or the Midrash than we have. Because in Al-Gemara and in Al-Midrash, it's not Rav and Shmol, it's Rabbi Yehuda and, Rav, R- Rabbi Yehuda and I think Rabbi Nachamia. Maybe wrong on that, but it's somebody else. But uh, so it's quite possible that Rashi had a different text. And of Rav and Chad Omar, Paradise, Lahavi <laughs> Mimenu perot L'Orchim Basuda. One says it was an orchard to bring from it fruit to the guests in their meal. The Chad Omar, Pundak and one says it was a pundak, which translates translate as a hostel or an inn, la achsanya for hospitality, uvo kol minei and in it were all types of fruits. By the way, there are different versions of Rashi here. Um, it, probably the original version probably does say kol minei but some say that's a mistake, and it should say kol ma'achle suda, or foods for the suda, or come back, there's a reason for that uh, question. Uh, your versions? Have they got Machlei or Komine Peyrot? Komine Machal. Okay. Kominei Machal. And what have you got? In... Um, yeah, uh, Peyrot. Peyrot, okay. I don't have so, a footnote. Okay, so Masarab Cook is probably uh, more precise. Anyway, and then he says, Umadzinu lashon netiyah ohlim. We do find an expression of planting by tents. Shne'emar, as we have a passage in Daniel, and he planted the tents of his palace. Uh, if you just excuse me. Hi, it's Ruth Kaysen. Hi. Hello. Sorry I'm late. Thank you for joining thank us. Thank you for letting me. Right. Um, so the last part is to say if it's a pundak, if it's a building, it's unlikely, it's, it's uncomfortable to have an expression of planting because you don't plant buildings. I, says Rashi, we can find in Daniel that you do, that sometimes you plant buildings uh, or tents. If it's an orchard, that's fine. That works very well with Vayita. Now, there's a lot to say. <laughs> I've got a lot to say in this because um, many, many, many years ago when I was in Yeshiva, um, I had to give a devatara at lunch. And I gave it on this Rashi. So, uh, and since then I've learned more. So I will end this section with a really beautiful vote from Rav Zevin, but let's talk a little bit further. Um, let's read on actually, um, because we'll answer some of the questions by reading on then we'll come back to this dispute between Rav and Shmuel. rasham he called there. Says Rashi, through means of this Eshel, by the way, whether it was an orchard or whether it was an inn, there's a clear common theme, and that is hospitality. So if it's an orchard, said Rashi, to bring fruits for the guests in the Suda, and if it's a Pundak, it's for hospitality. So either way, it's for hospitality. So it says Rashi, By means of this Eshel that we're talking about, the name of Hashem was called, the God of all the world. How? After they drank and, sorry, ate and drank, i.e. the guests, he would say to them, Please bless the one from whom you have eaten. They would think, So you think that you've eaten from my food? From the one who said, and let the world be, you have eaten. In other words, you haven't eaten my fruit, you've eaten Hashem's fruit. So let's bench. And as a result of giving the food and encouraging people to bless Hashem, that's how cross Hashem, Bashem, Hashem, Kel Olam. So the people realize that God is the provider of everything. He is Kel Olam. And they blessed him. And that's how that's why the passage says Abraham, or what Rashi is saying, that when it says he called, it means he caused to be called, which is the same thing. And that's the power of causing someone to bless Hashem. It's as if you've blessed Hashem. Uh, unless you say, I just occurs to me, unless you say he called them the name of Hashem, that's part of his Musa Abraham told them, and that's by Yikra Hashem, Hashem, but I don't think that's what Rashi is saying. I would say it wouldn't be would Kel Alam as well, because of the fact that the fact that he's saying, Rashi's is saying that it's the master of the world. Why did he using specifically Kel Alam? Why is he using another Way to describe Hashem maybe, but maybe Kel Olam, is, as you said, it's master of the whole world. Okay. Um, yeah, he's saying master of the world, that Rashi has to fit in with Kel Olam, and Rashi has to say as part of the story about Abraham teaching his guests, that he told them, Misho um, uh, Misha Amar Olama you've eaten from the creature of the world, but I I will stick to my original view because I think I read Rashi precisely, going back to the words by Yikra Al Oto Eshel Nikra Shemol Shel HaKadosh Baruch By means of this Eshel, the name of Hashem was called passive. So Rashi replaces the word by by the word Nikra. So it teaches, and it's a beautiful lesson, that by Avraham encouraging people to praise Hashem, it's as if Avraham is praising Hashem. That's the power of being a teacher. Hear that? Everyone should be a teacher. Right. I am even um, Now, so that has answered one of the questions that I started with, which is, what's the connection between the first part of the pasuk and the second part of the Possek? Rashi's answering that question. It doesn't have an Eshel and then have a yikra sham, bashem, Hashem. There's obviously a connection between the two. So Rashi's explained the Eshel as a place of hospitality, explained in two different ways, and through the hospitality, Hashem's name is called. Okay next thing to say is, why do we have two explanations? So, well, it seems that Rashi can't decide between the two. Uh, The Gemara gives two, the Midrash gives two, Rashi quotes two. Um, I'll I'll give an idea of a synthesis in a minute. Um, Some want to say that Eshel meaning orchard is the Pshat and Eshel meaning Pundak is the Midrash, because Particularly because of the word vajita. well, first of all, the word eshel in the two other places, it, at least one of the places, it does occur. It means a tree. It uh, you talk about sitting under the tree, uh, so it sounds like a tree. And vayita, the symbol meaning of vayita means planted. That also implies a tree. So you could say that that uh, the, the first idea that it's a paradise, an orchard that's shut, and pundak is not the most literal meaning so that's the midrash and that actually is borne out by rashi in the gemara and i forget where the gemara is you might have a reference sota. what oh sorry that initial one yeah Rav and Shmuel, which isn't Rav and Shmuel. um sota yeah okay sota tough good good um rashi there says a shell meaning pundak is not recon which is we would call a acronym for achila Shia and levia for eating, drinking, and escorting. So the, those are the components of hospitality. Incidentally, uh, part of the mitzvah, part of the halakha, of Harkim, uh, is you walk your guests off uh, on their way, at least for, uh, for Amot. That's part of the mitzvah. Levia accompanying is part of the mitzvah. So Rashi there says Achila Shtia, the Lavia, um, is of Shin Lamed, which brings to an interesting story. There is a story of somebody who went to the Vilna Goan with a taina and said, I made my house open wide for guests and it burnt down. Where's the justice in that? And the Vilna Goan said to him, did you give your guests food? He said, yes. Did you give your guests drink? He said, yes. Did you escort your guests off the premises? He said, no, I didn't do that. So the Goan said, ah, you didn't have the lamud. All you're left with is Aish. That's why your place burned down. <laughs> um, you can also say that the lamud stands for Lina which is sleeping, a place to sleep. So maybe the leaner is more part of the Eshel than the, uh, the, than the uh, escorting. Um, so if you say, like Rashi seems to say in the Gemara, that Eshel meaning Pundak is only an acronym, it's not really the meaning of the word, but that would fit that it's the Midrash as opposed to the pshat. It's It's not the real meaning of the word. But I want to say that looking at this Rashi, he makes no distinction between the two. He doesn't say dva Acher. He doesn't say um pshat and drush. It seems to me that Rashi here, perhaps differently from Rashi in the Gomara, is presenting them as two parts of the same component. And now I'll share with you Rav Zevin's Rasha, which is just so beautiful. He said, It's both. It's a pundak and it's a paradise. Because there is something in a paradise which is not in a pundak, and there's something in a pundak which is not in a paradise. What is in a pundak? Well, a pundak, an inn, a hostel, is, is, let's be honest, is better for hospitality because it's nicer to spend your nights under a roof than in an orchard under a tree. Uh, It's it's warmer, it's more comfortable. It provides that degree of physical um, comfort, but it doesn't have the property of something organic that can replicate itself. An orchard comes back year after year after year because the trees produce fruit, and the fruit produce seeds, and the seeds produce trees, and so on. Says Rav Zevin, that what Avraham established was something that incorporated both. It had physical structure, but it also had the power to reproduce itself, because it was the first Jewish home, which fits in beautifully with the narrative, because Avraham's just had a son, it's all about raising the son, the son is growing up, Avraham and Sarah have their Jewish home, which they are now establishing in relative peace because they've had all sorts of uh, turmoil up till now. And it also explains Kel Olam, because when you build a Jewish home, especially a Jewish home, which has the power to reproduce generation after generation, you are creating something for eternity. Kel Olam as in God forever. And that is the Pundak and the paradise together. I think that's really beautiful. Okay, now we move on. To pasuk lamed The Yagar Avraham be'eretz Pelishtim yamim rabim. Avraham dwelt in the land of the Pelishtim for many days. So we have a long Rashi here, which expounds on the point of yamim rabim, uh, and also alludes to a couple of other things, um, and gives a uh, chronology basically of the life of Avraham. So it says in the words yamim rabim, me'rubim al shel Chevron more, more time did he live in the land of the Pelishtim than he lived in Hebron. So when did he live in Hebron? So let us remember that um, he arrived in Eretz Israel, he wandered about a bit, he went down to Egypt and then he came back and he settled um, after coming back from Egypt and Okay, the key Rashi, really, that relates to this is one we saw quite recently in Yud-Tet-Yud-Zayin. You don't need to look at it there, but, but the, um, when the Lot was fleeing from Saddam, and he was told to go to the Har, to the mountain, so Rashi says there that's where Abraham was, and it's a reference to Hebron. Uh, and even though earlier in Yud Gimel it said he had tents all over the place, uh, Rashi in Yud Tet said that the pasuk in Yud Gimel meant that he was living sort of his his uh, area extended to Hebron. So basically, for the first period of time, Rashi will tell us how long that is. Abraham lived in Hebron. Then he moved from that area. We know when he moved from that area after the fall of Saddam, because as Rashi said, that he moved because now either because he was uh, disgraced by or, or it was like. Uh, scandalous about what happened to Lot and his daughters, or because there were no passers-by on the way to Stom anymore, so he moved, and he moved to the land of the Palishtim. So Rashi's saying, this passage is telling us that that second major period of dwelling was in the land of the Pelishtim, and it was longer than in the time of the first place in Hebron. And that's Yomim Rabim, because he was there many days. What's the point of saying many days? That's what Rashi says at the beginning, Merubim Al Shel Hebron more than he was in Hebron now how does this work the Hebron he was in Hebron for 25 years and Rashi will now prove why it's 25 oh sorry esrim and here in the land of the Palishtim he was there for 26 so that's your more than the place the time in Hebron so now he's going to show you how you get those numbers shivim he was 75 when he left Haran, because we know that explicitly. We're told that's how, he, how old he was. Oto and in that year, the year he arrived in um, Eretz Israel, <laughs> he went and dwelt in Elon Mamre, and that's Hebron. Because we don't find that he settled anywhere before this except there because everywhere he went when he was wandering around the land, he was like a guest. He was camping, and he moved continually. That's what's meant by Avram passed. He traveled. And he uprooted from there and moved to somewhere else. And then it says, there was a famine in the land. And Avram went down to Egypt. And Rashi says here something without proof, without reference, because it's what Chazal say. In Egypt, he was only there for three months. So the whole time of Sarah being taken and then Sarah being given back, and Paro saying leave, that was three months. So we're still in his first year. It's a very short period of time. Shaharei Sholochu Paro, because Paro sent him apparently after three months, and miyad the and then immediately he went back to his journeys ad until. That was the verse I was looking for. He went and dwelt in the in Elone Mamre, which is in Hebron. This is all in the first year. And he stayed there until Saddam was overturned. So that's the period in Hebron. So how long is it? Why did he leave? Because of the shame of Lot. Interestingly, and I hadn't noticed this before, Russia only gives one reason here for leaving Hebron, but earlier he gave two. And then he came to the land of Pelishtim. And then he was um, uh, 99 years old. How do I know he was 99 years old? because on the third day of his milah, the angels came to see him. So what does it mean the angels came to see him? The angels came to see him to, among other things, tell him that Lot was about, sorry, Saddam was about to be destroyed, or Hashem told him that at the same time. And we know that that was the third day of his milah, and his milah was when he was 99 years old. So the overturning of Saddam was when he was 99 years old. The leaving from that area, which was immediately after the the destruction of Saddam was when he was 99. So from 75 to 99, including the 75-year, you get 25. Hare and that is 25 years. and here when it talks about him staying in the Palishtim, yamim rabim means more, many days. al alharishanim, more than the previous lot. And this is a phrase that Gomorrah uses from time to time. The Pasuk does not come to close up information, but rather to explain information. Which means, if we have to work out how many more years he was in the land of the Polishtim rather than in Chevron, well, there's only one number we can choose. Because if it's, as he's about to say, if it's any more than this number, then we wouldn't know. See, let me let him speak. Um, if it was two or more years, more in the second place than it was in the third. It would have said so. It would have specified. So you're forced to say it's not more than one year. In other words, we've said in Hebron, it was 25 years. So, and in the land of the Prishtim, it was more. So let's say, for want of argument, it, was, it means it was 27 years. We wouldn't be able to work that out. We wouldn't be able to work out it's 27 years unless the, the Pasuk said it was two years extra. And it doesn't say that. And therefore, since the Pasuk is coming to tell us something rather than not tell us something, it must mean it was one year more. Because that's the one number that doesn't need to be specified, because every other number does need to be specified. And that's what's meant when Rashi says, V'loba hakatob listom um, eilalaforesh and therefore he says when it says it was more sorry first of all there's this equation of which rashi said at the beginning and rashi said just again means more than the previous that's rashi explaining that now it's not literally what it means and i don't think rashi's saying it's literally what it means but it's saying what it has to mean because otherwise we don't need to be told it Yomim Rabim is apparently superfluous, so Rashi, as he always does, is saying, no, it's not superfluous, it's telling us something, it's giving us some information. And in particular, it's giving us the information, this is why Rashi said at the very beginning, Murubim al shal That's what Yomim Rabim means. So, how long was he in Hebron? We proved it was from age 75 to age 99, which is 25 years, including the 75 year. And therefore, if it's more than that, and the pasuk is being as specific as, as it is, it must be one year more, so that's 26 years. And then he says, <laughs> So what happened after 26 years? He, when he's now 125, he, 99 plus 26 is 125, so he leaves the land of the Pelishtim, because the pastor told us he was only there for 26 years. So then he went back to Hebron. Well, how do we know he was in Hebron? Well, we have a pretty good idea because um, in the beginning of Kaf Gimel, we read that, Tamat Sarah B'kiri Arba hi Chevron. So Sarah, when she dies, is living in Hebron. So assuming Avraham and Sarah were living in the same place, we know he went back to Hebron. So Rashi says, if he leaves the land of the Polishtim, and later on he's in Hebron, he goes back to Hebron. And then he says, Oto shana kadma lifnei shel that year, when he went back to Hebron, was 12 years before the Akedah. How do you work out it was 12 years before the Akedah? Because, well, here's the point. Rashi says that Sarah died at the time of the Akedah. Others don't say that. But that means that when she dies at age 127, that's when Avraham, who's 10 years older than Sarah, is 137 which is 12 years after he's 125. That's where the 12 comes from. But it's that link between the death of Sarah and the Akeda, which places the age of um, uh, Yitzhak at the Akeda as 37, which also means that Rivka, who's born at the time of the Akeda, is three when she marries um, Yitzchak, who marries her at the age of 40, as the explicitly says, all this, all, all these numbers really are predicated, are they're hinged on this one fact, that Sarah died at the time of the Akedah. Um, and where does Rashi get that from? And now we have the last few words of Rashi. This is what is taught in a Midrash called Seda Olam, which Rashi uses extensively. Um, it's a midrash. It's nothing really but a list of dates and numbers of years. Um, there is an argument that the version that Rashi used was corrupted. Um, I haven't really explored that, but a teacher I respect once told me that, and his version had the sort of numbers that uh, I'm talking about, and particularly that Rivka was three, but other versions had different arithmetic. Um, Ramban takes a different view. Ramban does not adopt the that Olam. Ramban has... The death of Sarah being quite a bit after the Akedah, which makes Yitzchak younger at the time of the Akedah, which makes um, Rivka older when he marries her. Uh, There are many different ways of looking at it, but this is Rashi, and these this counting um, it it fits in with Rashi's um, chronology, which goes death, which puts it twelve years after, twenty six years after. Rush, uh, Abraham moves from Hebron, which is why it all fits together that he was in the land of the dim for 26 years, and then he moved back to Hebron. There's another reason for this whole story of R- the ring that Rashi has just given us. So why has Rashi gone on at length to do this? So one answer is to show what Yamim Rabim means, but that doesn't quite answer why Rashi needs to put that last line about the 12 year gap. Why does Rashi say that it's 12 years before the Akeda? Hold that thought. Let's now start Perak Kafbet, which is the Perak of the Akeda. And let's look at Pasuk Aleph. And it was after these things. God, we'll use the usual translation, tested Avraham. And he said to him, Abraham, v'yomer And Abraham replied, hineini. As we'll see, the word occurs three times in this chapter. We'll talk about those three times later. ha'ila. What is meant by hadavrim ha'ila? This is the question Rashi's going to answer. Now, if you look at vav, yeah, lovely. Beginning of Perak Tet Vav. We see the words Acha After these things, now where does that come? That comes immediately after the War of the Four Kings and the Five Kings, and it leads on to the Brit Benavatarim. And the Brit Benavatarim is introduced with And Rashi says on that, on that word Acha Wherever it says achar, it means it's close together. And then he says acharei muflag. But had it said acharei, that's far apart. So bearing that in mind, our pasuk says achar So it must be near, must be close to these things. So the akeda was after these things, it must be close to these things. So what are these things? So you might think, as the Rashbam does, that these things are what we've just learned about. The Brit between Avraham and Avimelech. Indeed, the Rashbam amazingly says, "But the the Al-Qaeda was a punishment for making the Brit between Avraham and Avimelech." But Rashi, as we probably know, is going to bring a completely different answer to What were these things? Why doesn't Rashi say it's just after the Brit with Avimelech? That's why Rashi said it was twelve years before. That's why Rashi added in that there's twelve year gap. Well, actually, there's a 20, it's, there's it's more, it's, sorry, it's really a 38-year gap. 26 years in the land of the Polishtim and 12 years after he went back to Hebron, and then you have the Akedah. So given that Rashi says, refers to events which are near, it can't be the Brit with Abimelech because that was a long time before. So it must be something else. So Rashi uses the Midrash to give you two other things that had happened, that this was now Akhar. So what are those two things? Says Rashi, on Pasuk Aleph, Akhar hadavrim yeshme raboteinu omrim. There are those of our rabbis who say, Akhar davarav shal satan, after the words of the satan, shahaya makatreg, that the satan was accusing, which is fair enough, because that's what the satan does, the Omer, and he said, Regarding Abraham, Mikol Suda she'asa Abraham, lo hikrivlo fanecha par echad or ayel echad. From every meal banquet that Abraham has made, he didn't sacrifice before you one par or one ayel, one uh, bull or one ram. Amar lo, that's the kitrek, uh, that's the accusation of the Satan. Amar lo, Hashem replied to him, klum asa elo bishvil bano. He's only done this, he's only done anything, i.e. with reference to making feasts, for the sake of his son. If I were to say to him, sacrifice, slaughter him before me, he would not hold back. Now, what is the Suda that the Satan is referring to? Literally, it says, Every time Abraham made a Suda, breakfast, lunch, and supper. He's never offered um, an animal before you. But it makes more sense, given Hashem's reply, when he says, to mean the Suda, which we know that Abraham made at the time of the weaning of Yitzchak, as we read in Kaf Aleph. Chet, kafal chet. made a big Suda on the day that he weaned Yitzchak. And says Rashi, that was when Yitzchak was two. Now, that creates an interesting question. If the Satan is making this accusation at the time of the Suda, if it's current, what he's talking about, that would be 35 years before the the question returns, how is that? So you don't have to say it's at the time of the Suda. But maybe the uh, Satan now at the time of the Akeda, is making reference in retrospect to that Suda, which was 35 years before. Why is he making that accusation now? We'll come back to that. Then Rashi says, And there are those who say, After the words of Yishmael al He was showing off against Yitzchak. Shemal ben Shloshes Rashana, That he, Yishmael, was circumcised when he was 13 years old, and he did not protest. And Yitzchak was only circumcised when he was 8 years old, so that's not such a, a great credit for Yitzchak because he doesn't know to protest. Amar alo Yitzchak. Yitzchak says to him, with with reference to one organ, one limb, you are making me scared? No, it's not going to happen. <inaudible> if Hashem said to me, <inaudible> sacrifice yourself before me, I would not hold back. So Yitzchak is saying to Yishmael, big deal that you were circumcised. I'm prepared to give up my entire me, and I won't protest. So you're showing off about being circumcised, is nothing compared to what I'm prepared to do. When did this conversation take place? It's not clear. We know that Yitzchak Yishmael has been sent away, but we also know that Yishmael came back. And in a moment of tremendous irony, when in Pastor Gimel ahead, Abraham takes with him Shnei Na'arav, his two lads, they are, according to Rashi, Yishmael and Eliezer. And I actually, nobody seems to talk about that, or at least nobody I found, but I find that absolutely remarkable. So according to Rashi, number one, we said last time that the sending way of Yishmael is parallel to the sending way of Yitzchak. Uh, there's a lot of parallels, a lot of textual parallels, and, and in terms of a narrative of basically sacrificing a child. Um, it's interesting that Yishmael then pops up again, and he's there for the other sacrifice of the child. But bigger than that is putting all this Rashi together Rashi says that the Akedah is, in some respects, Yitzchak's answer to Yishmael, and Yishmael is absolutely, is actually there. He doesn't go up the mountain, as we'll see, Rashi makes a point to that he stays at the foot of the mountain to go with the donkey, Rashi says, because he's like a donkey, but he's there as part of the Akedah process. Now, um, a few things arise. Is Rashi saying that the Akedah was a response to these accusations? either by the satan or by ishmael that would be very hard to say because well first of all it doesn't make sense that we we understand there are 10 tests it sounds like there's a program of 10 tests everything's been building up to the last test it doesn't make sense to say well hashem planned nine tests and along comes to satan and says oh i don't believe he's all that key he's all that good everyone says uh, hashem says all right i'll give him another test that's unlikely and it's also the case that When uh, at the Brit Mila, Hashem said to Avraham, in Yud-Zayin Pasuk Aleph, and Rashi said on that, uh, no, sorry, I haven't got the reference, but it's about there where Hashem says, please pass all my tests. Um, uh, here it is this is an extra command we talked about this when we got there please be perfect in all my tests Um, implying that there's been tests planned in the Akeda, which is the ultimate one is all part of the plan so it's not to say, and Rashi's is very careful, you look carefully, Rashi does not say that the Akedah is a response to the words of the Satan or the words of Ishmael. But it just happens, or it doesn't happen, it happens to be contemporaneous with the words of the Satan and the words of Ishmael. So the, the test is about to happen. The Satan sees his moment. When is the Satan's moment? Let's just always remember, the Satan is nothing to do with Satan, Chas obviously they come from the same word, but the Satan is a servant of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who does Hakadish Baruch Hu's job, and his job that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives him is to be Mekatrei. He's the, he's the uh, prosecuting counsel. that A judicial system needs a prosecutor, that's the Satan's role. So now the time has come when Avram's facing his greatest test, the Satan says, ah, now's the time to raise some questions about what sort of person he is. But the other thing I want to say is um, about these two uh, Devarim. Oh, by the way, sorry, I, I missed a point. Rashi, what, what does Devar mean? What does Devar mean? It can mean thing, or it can mean word. Rashi clearly understands here it doesn't mean thing, it does mean word, because the two stories he gives are both involving verbalization. What the Satan said, he actually spells it out. Achad Devarav Satan. He's understanding the word devarim as words. So that's why he finds two midrashic incidents which involve words. Um, but I think there's um, a huge amount to be understood by looking at Pasuk Yudbet Bet of our Perik. When Hashem says, don't slaughter Yaakov, uh, Yitzhak after all, he says in the middle of that Pasuk, Pasuk Yud Bet, because now I know. That you fear God. Now the question everyone asks at that point is, didn't God know that already? What does he mean? Now I know. So look how Rashi understands that. Second of Rashi. Now I have what to respond, pardon me, yeshiva, there, to the Satan and to the nations who were wondering, what is my love for you? Why do I, Hashem, have a special love for Abraham? Uh, so, just by the way, we're, we're preempting. When we get to possibility you'd bet, doesn't mean now I know, because that doesn't make sense. Now I can make known, I can refute other people's questions. But says Rashi, on that, those words, it sounds like the whole agenda of the Akeda was to answer a question to two audiences. The question was, what's the big deal about Avraham? Why is Avraham so special? And who are the two audiences? One is the nations, and the other is the Satan. Now, why does Hashem need to answer the Satan? And why does Hashem need to answer the nations? I'd suggest, and this ties perfectly with the first Rashi, the one we just learned, that the purpose of the Akedah, says Rashi, was to answer the question of what's so special about Abraham to two audiences. One is the ummah, the other nations, who say, why do the Jews get all the special deals? Why did the Jews get the promised land? Why do the Jews get Hashem's special love? So Rashi says that's a question by putting it into the mouth of the nation which is closest to the Jewish people, the half-brother. Yishmael is the son of Abraham but he doesn't make it as the bearer of Abraham's legacy and the inheritor of Abraham's promise. That's Yitzchak. So Yishmael says, why are you special? That's one part of what the al was is there to answer. And the other is to answer the Satan. Now, what is the Satan doesn't need answer? Because the Satan, as I said very clearly, is a servant of Hashem. doesn't have to prove anything to the Satan. But what does it mean the Satan's asking the question? It means the Satan is asking, what is the true, real, intrinsic nature of Abraham? Not for the sake of an audience, not for the sake of a media release, but the truth about Abraham. That's the question the Satan is asking. So the Satan is saying, listen, does Abraham really love you more than his son? That's what Hashem now has to demonstrate. Hashem knows the answer, of course, but Hashem has to demonstrate because that's the question being asked. Uh, maybe it's going too far to say the Satan is the internal dialogue Hashem is having with himself. That's probably a little bit anthropomorphic, so perhaps I shouldn't say that. But that's what I think is going on. The Satan is an agent of Hashem. The Satan is asking the question: What's the real Abraham? That's the real uh, authentic truth about Abraham. The second point is: What message does this give to an external audience? So just as we see from Yudbet, Hashem is to answer those two questioners. One being the other nations. And two, being the truth about abraham That's what I think means answering the Satan. So similarly at the beginning, Avraham, uh, Rashi says, that the Akedah is there to respond to those two questions. One asked by Yishmael, and I would suggest that's on behalf of the nation, the nation, sorry, and the other is asked by the Satan, and that's about who is the real Abraham. The next thing Rashi says is, on the words, here I am. Says Rashi, kach hi This is the humility of the righteous ones. Lashon anava is an expression of humility. Who? And an expression of readiness. So hinani, Rashi explains what the word means because he has to tell us what the word means. And I'll show you somewhere else in a moment that he also tells us what the word means. So it's one of those words that needs explanation. The Rashi says it means two things. It means anava, humility. It's meaning you want to ask me something? Here I am. I will do whatever you say. And that's also an expression of zimun of being ready and willing to do whatever I'm told to do straight away. Um, and I think this anava is really the, the theme that runs through the whole akedah. The whole akedah is the demonstration that Avram will do whatever Hashem says. That is anava, that is humility, because humility means I'm not so important but I need to take a contrary position. Pride and uh, defiance go together because pride means I'm more special than you, I don't need to listen to you. Humility is the opposite, I'm less special than you, I do need to listen to you and therefore I'll do what you say. So hinani, here I am, ready to do what you say, is an expression of anava. If you look in the sedra that we just learnt in Vayesha, when Yaakov sends ya-, uh, ya Yosef off to see his brothers, um, in Pasuk Yud Gimel, sorry Lamet Zayin Yud Gimel, Lamet Zayin Yud Gimel, Yomer Yisrael Yosef, hello Achecha, ro'im b'shem, lacha the lachacha alayhem, Yomer lo ki neimi Yosef also says to Yaakov. Hineini. And look at Rashi there. anava uzerizut. So he says almost the same thing. Not quite the same words, but he says Loshan anava, just like he said here. Humility, because Yosef says to Yaakov, I'm ready to do what you, what you want me to do. But then Rashi changes his expression. Here it's zimun, and here it's zerizut. Zerizut means alacrity. I'm rushing. I'm rushing out the door. Zimun Means I'm ready, but I'm not rushing. Why does Rashi change his words? Because there's a difference in the context. Because in the case of Yosef, if you look carefully at Yud Gimel, he's already been told what to do. The instruction is already there. So he says, hineni I'm out the door. I'm doing the instruction. I don't need to wait any longer because you've told me what to do. Avram hasn't been told what to do yet. And in fact, as we will see next time, that in Pasuk, um Next passage, Hashem takes quite a long time to tell him what to do, Pasuk Bet. but right now, he's saying, I'm ready, but I can't be Zaris because you haven't yet told me what to do. So it's a, I find a, a quite beautiful example of how precise Rashi is with his wording um, that uh, in, in, given that it's the same word, but it's a slightly different context. So it's a slightly different comment of Rashi, which reminds me, there's something I didn't say earlier. And I've just got a minute to say, if you don't mind me going backwards, um, I go back to the uh, Pundak and the Pardes, which was both in the word Eshalt in Pasuk Lamed Gimel. So, sorry to go completely out of order, but you will recall that I pointed out there's a dispute about um, what came out of the Pundak. It says, Rashi, Ubo kol minei Perot. And you might remember that there are discussions whether that's the correct version or whether it's kol minei macha or macha Suda, Kol minei macha. So some want to say that Rashi's got it wrong. It should be mini machal, sorry, our text is wrong. Why should it be mini types of food? Because that's what it says in the Midrash. So, and Rashi doesn't say mini machal. According to this version, it says mini so We've got two ways to go. You can either say, this is a scribal error. It should say mini machal, like the Midrash does, and Rashi, our text of Rashi is wrong. Or you can say, and I prefer to say this, is this is another beautiful example of where Rashi edits the Midrash to fit even better. As we've said many times, Nachan Levit says many times, that Rashi, uh, I've heard the figure 80%, I don't know how you count it, 80% of Rashi comes from the Midrash. But the brilliance of Rashi is his power of selection, why he selects this Midrash, not that Midrash, why he quotes one Midrash here, which the Midrash actually puts in another place, but Rashi brings it in a different Pasuk, and why he sometimes edits the words of the Midrash. And I would suggest that he edits the words of the Midrash to say, kolmine. Hayrot, all types of fruit, are served in the Pundak to link it back to the Paradis. The, the, the two definitions are not totally separate. We're not talking about two whole different visions here. It's one vision. So even in the Pundak, the food that is served is fruit that comes from the paradise. And how do I know they have to be linked? Because even if you say that Eshel is a Pundak, it's a physical structure, the verb is still vayeta. He planted. So even though Rashi said, by quoting the Pasuk in Daniel, it's OK to say he planted a building. We have, a, we have a, a precedent for that. Still, what does it mean to plant a building? What does it mean to plant a building? It means when you plant a building, there's something organic, something planted. That's the mini perot. And also, just so I'll conclude there, it, it fits very nicely with the beautiful what I brought from Rav Zevin, that when you build a Jewish house, you don't just build a Jewish house, you plant a Jewish house. Because what's the difference between planting a building? a lot of people talk about this building you, you put one brick on top of an oven and you're done planting you have to keep nurturing it you have to keep pouring on the water you have to keep uh, weeding etc planting is a much more intimate connection so you might build a house physically but a Jewish home you don't just build you plant and we will stop there and I encourage you all to go home and light kind of candles which are lit not in the shore but in the home Dafka. Um lots to say about that I wish you have urim may you bring light the light of Torah into the world. Thanks. So Amen. Thank you. Thank you. you